Hello and welcome to the Christmas and New Year special of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. All of the money made from Patreon for this particular episode is going to be donated to St Mungo's, a charity for homeless people with dogs. And if you would like to know more about St Mungo's, then go to mungos.org. Anyway, most of this was recorded backstage at Hammersmith Apollo where I was doing the Compendium of Reason with Brian Cox and we spoke to a variety of people about their favourite books of 2016 including the astronaut Chris Hadfield and the Duran Duranna Simon Le Bon. Unfortunately, Josie couldn't be there so I'm going to be joined by her shortly for a pre-record. Um, okay. So we're doing. So this is this is the Christmas uh, special. I've done a little intro beforehand. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're all covered about what it's going to be about, and we're going to give uh, all the uh, money from this particular episode to St Mungo's because I think that's a good charity that looks after both homeless people and also uh, their dogs as well. So, what has been your favourite books of 2016? It doesn't have to be a book that came out in 2016. My favourite book that I've read all year was Alone in Berlin by um, Hans Falada. Have you read it? No. I. I hadn't even heard of it, which I feel a bit embarrassed about. It's about seemingly futile acts of resistance to Nazism during the Second World War, which is pretty heavy, but it's very on brand for the year. Um, it's uh, He's a very interesting character, Hans Flodder, who wrote it, because he uh, didn't leave Germany in 1933, and he had sort of mixed dealings with the Nazi government so at some point he was commissioned to write things and he was deeply uncomfortable and like kept having nervous breakdowns and uh, descended into alcoholism but he sort of was there during and just about survived and then wrote Alone in Berlin in 1947 and then passed away so it's like a very hard strange life that this man led but what I really love about it is that it's about it really made me appreciate what how difficult it is to live under a militaristic government and about how everyone was completely alone and terrified and it was interesting but also like about this idea of like what can small actions do oh I suppose my favourite book of the year is Hope in the Dark by I was going to say I would be amazed if it wasn't that yeah, when you said but, another one I love the fact there was a twist at the end of that that you suddenly went I'm going to pretend it was that book that even though Robin knows well that Rebecca saw have you actually finished it now Solnit no I'm saving it <laughs> Solnit is the Alan de Botton is okay to love but basically a lot of you know a lot of when you try and be political and you try and care about these things a lot of it boils down to like oh God, I'm just this pathetic little leaf and I wish I could do more and I don't do enough and, you know, it feels so overwhelming. And both of these books, you know, even this one where, so in Alone in Berlin, it's about these people leaving these postcards and it's not really a spoiler alert to say that they don't succeed in toppling Nazism with their postcards. But um, at the end of it, Hans Falada talks about why he wrote it and he says, like, you know, like in all effect their resistance was completely failed it was completely pointless like no one really saw it all these things happened and then you think yeah but he wrote a novel about it and that then everyone read it and i mean but then i just also read this book called i hate the internet which was really really great uh that's just come out very interesting book about gentrification in san francisco and so like vonnegut it's like so inspired by vonnegut that sometimes i'd be like mate this is not fair and other times i'd be like thank god it's like he's still who's this here. who's written i hate the internet i can't remember his name oh well, that's right i hate the internet jared um, jared kobeck that's okay jared kobeck brilliant 
I hate the internet. You would love it. I was going to bring it in, but I couldn't carry it on top of everything else I had to carry. But um, in I hate the internet, he does this really bleak thing where he says culture has no effect on politics. All it does is send messages to the future. And I feel like at my bleakest, that's how I feel. I'm like, well, you know, what good does people taking the piss out of Donald Trump do if Donald Trump still gets elected? But then at my least bleak, I think, well, everything has, in these like Rebecca Solnit ways, everything has these useful splinter effects and everything builds and you know things change in interesting and unpredictable ways so there you go that's a good choice well i uh um i've I've made a list and then the printer hasn't worked properly so it's the ones that aren't blurred so (laughs) blurred that i can't read them anymore and you're checking it twice uh the thing that i probably read most of this year were interviews with jg ballard Oh my uh, God! I've read both the both the research books and the extreme metaphors book, and this has been the year to read J.G. Ballard and go, "Aren't you prescient?" Very mate? prescient, I imagine. In fact, you know, with a bit of memorabilia that I really want to buy, but I'm not going to buy it. Oh J.G. Ballard's house is up for sale in Shepperton, and I was thinking, Shepperton. Well, yeah, yeah. How much is it worth? Though it must be. It's a about, lot of no, money. no, it's, it was a small house. It's only like two two not big double bedrooms and a single room, and it's not big. It's a little dinky house. See, this is the difference between people in their thirties and their forties. You hear him talking about a three bedroom house ladies and gentlemen yeah. anyway sorry how well, I'm not going to buy it obviously because I can't do that kind of thing but I love that idea of going which bit of memorabilia because I, <laughs> I could try and get a first edition of the trusty exhibition in Harbag or I could have his house <laughs> all the psychogeography oozing through me as these dystopian <laughs> and beautiful visions but I just have, I, I what's found... the house like it's just a really nice when was it built like it must be 1920s 1930s Ooh, okay. I thought one of those ones yeah. uh, is semi-detached one with a little driveway no garage so you uh, had a semi yeah, and they, let's not go down that route again. I don't know where you get those rude jokes from. But um, so I've read a lot of that this year, and I read High Rise again, which was probably a mistake because I read it immediately before watching the film, and I have to admit, I was not very You're not enamoured of the film, yeah. So JG well, Ballard, what was your thing? Actually, no, I'll tell you what, let's find out uh, Simon Le Bon's favourite book. With Simon Le Bon, Duran Duran has just closed the Christmas show this year. And we want to know what is the best thing you've read this year? The best thing I've read? Yeah, well, can be poem um, book. Well, A.A. Gill's last article on his own cancer was extraordinary. However, I read a novel which was, lasted a bit longer, um, wasn't filled with so much tragedy, um, but by Sarah Perry called The Essex Serpent. It's really good. Um, it's a historical. It's really about the fight, but the argument between religion and science, I think. But it, it's really well written. It's fantastic characterization, lovely situations, and com- but the, the, the people are they're not they're not stereotypes. They're, they're completely they're different from any other characters you've ever read, which is what makes it so wonderful. Because they feel they, they, when it's like that, they take on their own personality. Sarah Perry's The Essex Serpent. Lucy Cook. Great. All right, Lucy, tell us about your favourite thing you've read this year and why. Well, I am writing a book myself at the moment, so it means that I, I, all I get to read are research books, which means I haven't really read anything that was published this century this year, because it's a sort of it's a history of science book. So, um, so um, I'd have to say my favourite book is the one. By my, one of my scientific heroes that I just spoke about on stage, which is Pseudodoxia Epidemica by a guy called Sir Thomas Brown. 
and um, I thoroughly recommend that everybody reads it because basically what happened was that in the in the medieval times all, all the animal books were written by the, the religious scribes and they were just full of loads of folklore and rubbish and they had ludicrous things in them like ostriches can digest iron and badgers have legs on one side shorter than the other and they would just and beavers gnaw off their testicles and throw them at hunters and it was just completely ridiculous stuff um, and so what happened was that um, Sir Thomas Brown was like he was like the Richard Dawkins of his day and he's like this enough of this nonsense and so he used the three determiners of truth in order to investigate these um, uh, ridiculous things. And he actually sort of performed actual experiments to test them out. Anyway, so he, so he wrote about all these things and um, in this book, Pseudodoxia Epidemica, and it's all about his, what he calls vulgar errors and his sort of exposing of the truth behind it. And it's a brilliant, hilarious, wonderful read by a sort of visionary man um, who was, you know, 17th century myth, myth buster, basically. So go read it. Ben Goldacre. Yeah, it's called Gong Dreaming, Gong, G-O-N-G, by David Allen, D-A-E-V-I-D. And it is amazing. It's amazing because I always loved Gong, you know, that sort of silly, happy, hippie, trippy, flying teapot stuff. But also, they are secretly amazing popularisers of quite complicated and difficult um, sort of uh, sort of fancy pants, spiritual notions and they really went out of their way to try and crowbar a lot of really technical eastern mystical philosophy into the flying teapot trilogy and um, obviously nobody listening to this will believe me for a moment when i say that but it is completely true and if you're interested in like masterpieces of people doing the kind of thing that you try to do but in a completely different venue and format and set of ideas uh, but also if you love gong so that's basically a diagram of no people but it is a really a really great great book and it's got a ton of heart as well can you just give me the full name of the book and the author again james acaster James, best thing you've read this year? Um, a lot of my friends uh, came up with books. Sarah Pascoe uh, brought out Animal. That was really great. Uh, Joe Lysett did Parsnips Buttered and Scroobus Pip did Distraction Pieces. They were all they were all really good. I liked all of them. Because I haven't, I I haven't actually read anything by people who aren't my friends that I've enjoyed this year. I've been very disappointed by a lot of books. So those three have been great though. So either you're only friends with good authors or you won't be friends with someone unless they're a good author. Yeah, basically. Or, or just like, I mean, they're all people who are, this is their first books they've written. Uh, and clearly, and they're not previously authors, so they, they clearly care a lot. Basically, authors don't make good authors, in my opinion, but musicians and comedians do. Oh, those comedians are better at everything than anyone else. It's not a thing. What else in terms of, what about novels? Uh, novels, so Alone in Berlin, mm. that's my favourite novel that I've read. Again, I Hate the Internet was fun. We put a pin in novels because I read a memoir and I never read memoirs. Yeah, go on. I read a memoir called The Outrun, which is by Amy Liptrot, and it's about um, a woman who is from Orkney who's living in Hackney and she's my age and she was living in Hackney when I was living in Hackney and she kind of descends into alcoholism and her life falls apart and she moves back to Orkney and she swims in the sea every day. So you can imagine there's a lot of things on there that are my big turn-ons, you know. Oh, well, Scotland. happy Christmas then. Oh! Oh! Wow. 
Um, Robin has just uh, has just given me a book called Swimming Studies by Leanne Shapton. Oh wow! It looks like it's the kind of book you like. There's all swimming in it and stuff, and it's artistic. And hope it's about swimsuits, and, you know, dreams, and yeah, swim. Oh, can I make it clear as well? Swimsuits that are just on like kind of uh, mannequins. I yeah, not, it's a, not yeah, dirty. It's not like you know one of those sports specials or whatever sports illustrators. As a teenager, Leanne Shapton trained for the Olympic swimming trials. Now an artist, she's still drawn inexorably to swimming in pools and the sea. What do you do with an all-absorbing activity once it's past its relevance? And yet you can't quite give that up. Um, it's not. It's never past its relevance. I think um, you're going to enjoy that. It looks amazing. Okay, Chris Lintop, best thing you've read this year? A book called Spacesuit Fashioning Apollo, which came out a few years ago that I hadn't found. And it's a book by an architect about the wonders of the Apollo spacesuit, the thing that the astronauts wore when they were on the surface of the moon, which was made... Uh, by the Playtex company, people who make underwear. And so the book is partly about how wonderful the spacesuit is, but it's partly about the difficulty of getting an industry that was still made with uh, people hand-sewing uh, things to put them together and getting that to work with the engineering culture at NASA where every alteration had to be recorded. And so it's a really interesting look at uh, the Apollo era, how it works and how much detail went into everything that had to work to get Neil and Buzz and all the rest of them onto the moon. Is it like a narrative type story of how they made it or is it like a tech manual how to build one yourself? It, it's weirdly both, which I guess is what happens when an architect writes about spacesuits. So, so e- each chapter is one of the layers of the spacesuit. So you work from outside in and it's got anecdotes and oral histories from the people who, who worked on them talking about how uh, delicate it was to, to work out what size the astronauts were when they had to be, be fitted and so on. Uh, but it's also sort of a technical manual on why this worked. And I had a, one thing I hadn't realised before, if you think about 50s sci-fi, and lots of people think about Tintin on the moon and stuff like that, <laughs> the spacesuits are all this kind of hard, rigid, robotic mm. thing. You think of the, the circular ridges and you're sort of uh, wandering around on the surface in a very mechanistic way. But um, these days, you know, when, when you think after Apollo, they were soft suits and they were able to move uh, much more convincingly uh, uh, than they could otherwise. So that's Adam Rutherford doing an impression of a man in a spacesuit as we, as we sit on the stairs here. Um, so, so, so I hadn't realised that was a huge change. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of them as clothes rather than sort of bits of equipment were really important to the astronauts. So, so I, I'd say it's essential if you, if you want to build your own spacesuit that you read this book, um, but it's also wonderful for anyone who's interested in Apollo. Helen Chersky. Helen, what is your favourite thing you've read this year? My favourite thing I read this year is Adam Rutherford's A Brief History of Nearly Everyone Who's Ever Lived. And the reason is that it's, I learnt a lot, and it's funny, and it's full of stories that connect to things I half knew, and it completes the rest of the picture. So it's ace. Backstage at Hammersmith Apollo with Sophie Lispector, who is going to be singing uh, Nothing Appears to You in tribute to Prince. My question for you is, what is the best book that you've read in 2016? I'm a little bit torn here. Do I go with the one my mum wrote? It's called The Butcher's Hook, which came out in February. It's very, very good. Um, But the other book I read that I really loved was called The Last Act of Love. Um, and it's a, a, a work, it's a non-fiction book about a, a girl and her love for her brother after he becomes um, hit in a, in a by a car in an accident and he becomes in a permanent vegetative state and it's about how it affects the family and it's really well written and I know that sounds like it's obviously a very tough thing but there's a lot of beauty in her writing. And what was that, what was that one called again? That one's called The Last Act of Love. David McCormont. 
Okay, so David, you were on Book Shambles last season, I think. What's the best thing you've read this year? I would say the best thing that I've read this year was an article by Ta-Nehisi Coates um, in The Atlantic. Um, it was called The Black Family in the Age of Mass Incarceration. And it's um, really an examination of the uh, super predator um, theory that got Hillary Clinton in so much trouble this year. And um, he looks at the history of it and he speaks about the source of it and about these two um, gentlemen who were in um, uh, George Bush's administration and how they came up with this concept of the super predator and how it led to um, a phenomenal increase in the um, African Americans in jail. And um, it's very long. Um, he writes very long articles. I also read a superb article that he wrote about um, Obama recently. But yeah, I mean, without question, that's the best thing I read this year. Because it helped me to understand a lot more about the African, much more about the African uh, American situation than I knew. Adam Rutherford, apart from your own book, obviously, what is the best thing you've read this year? spent so much time trying to avoid reading books around my own subjects that I think really that genuinely the best things I've read this year, multiple things, are the collected volumes of Squirrel Girl, the unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Amazing new addition to the Marvel universe, not yet in movies but throughout the comics. Squirrel Girl has all the powers of a girl and a squirrel. It's not clear what those powers are but um, yeah that's it. Also, the other thing that I really enjoyed, uh, one thing, that a novel that I loved was, um, and I interviewed her when you weren't around, uh, Yana Teller, and you've got her copy of her book, War, which is a beautiful uh, and fascinating description of what it would be like if we were refugees, if yeah. London was was kind of being uh, destroyed by oppressive regime, yeah. what happens? Well, that's uh, what, with our film, what we tried to do, but then obviously writing it in in the summer because we were like what if there's a right wing cataclysmic event that makes England increasingly more fascist but then when we were trying to write it in the summer it was like ah, we didn't realise how luxurious our privilege in thinking of this idea was anyway sorry so it's about what would happen if but we it's, were it's, but the book I was going to say is her book Nothing which is from a while ago which is I suppose it's meant to be what's it called young adult fiction or something oh yeah uh, is really brilliant and, what and actually had me properly going <gasps> like there's proper shock moments in it um, so that was your favourite book of the year. I'm not well, asking I, well, you in properly, terms of novel. My a... favourite novel. Uh, <coughs> I read Great Gatsby again, and it's just and it seemed the right time. It to doesn't read Great let down, Gatsby does again. it? Not at all. Do you know? I've read that book now four times. It's the only book that I just keep coming back to and could read. And also, it's very short, and I appreciate that's a blessing. It's not let down. So you read it again this year? I, I read it a couple of weeks ago. I thought I really must read that again. And of course, the beautiful thing about it. Uh, work like that is every time you read it and your life has moved on and you've changed and you're older then you see something different in the wow. characters because you have a different perspective yeah how old was he when he wrote it well, i suppose he would only been what 30s wow yeah early th i mean we didn't live a long time the um and uh but nothing is this brilliant basically there's this boy who sits up a tree and says to all the other children they're all teenagers going nothing means anything it's all pointless Whoa, and they get, they get like no way no way and so they build a pile of meaning and <laughs> it gets incredibly i'm not going to reveal anything about it but yana teller it was really brilliant getting a chance to speak to her and we put that out as a podcast earlier on 
She's just a really great... Well, I mean, if you, listen to the podcast I did with her. I will, but I want to hear from you because you're my friend. I think that you, you just get a sense of, of real humanitarian compassion and she's wow. not someone who's just kind of... So, you know, she couldn't be dismissed as going, well, I mean, she would say that just sitting in her ivory tower because she hasn't. She's gone out to a lot of countries where truly devastating and hideous things have happened to human beings. Blimey. And that's a lot of where her perspective comes from. Um, and the other one I was going to say, I've got a huge list, actually. Yana Teller, uh, um, The uh, Missing of Som, which I read before we interviewed Jeff Dyer. Wow. That's Jeff Dyer's book, which is fantastic. The Divine Madness of Philip K. Dick, uh, which is a really good biography of Philip K. Dick. Uh, Empire of Illusion by Chris Hedges. Um, Black Hole Blues by Jana Levin. Jana Levin, she is such a great science writer. And this is all about the kind of uh, gravitational waves, how gravitational waves were detected. So it's a really beautiful story. But the one I was just going to mention is I picked up a James Baldwin book. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love James Baldwin. Do you know, I just bought, uh, is it Go Tell It on the Mountain? Yeah, yeah. I just bought it, uh, but I haven't yet read it. It was my plan to read it this month. I'm so excited. I feel like... I've come to him so late in my life and I'm embarrassed. Like. You shouldn't be. It's that thing, isn't it? Isn't it? Like, I'd never heard of Robert Rauschenberg, really. I mean, I knew of Robert Rauschenberg, but not much. And then I went to the Tate Modern to see his exhibition and it's just fucking brilliant. It's just... You will love it. Because every single room, he just goes, uh, right, I've done that bit. I'm going to work on this now. So yes! he, he won He won this prize for the silk screens he'd done. So he rang up his uh, um, assistant and said, oh, destroy all the silk screens that are in the studio, otherwise I get stuck doing silk screens all the time. <laughs> and one of it's just, there's just a vat of mud bubbling. And he's, <laughs> he, he worked, he's basically his point was, he said that uh, him and Jasper Johns yeah. uh, were like, why do people always have to go, my art comes from my pain? Huh. Let it come from our joy. Wow, but that's beautiful. God, I really Robert need to Rauschenberg, hear that these really, days. really good. But this, this was just, uh, just these lines should come from everywhere. Autobiographical notes, James Baldwin at the beginning of uh, Notes of a Native Son. This is just fantastic. Um, the story of my childhood is the usual bleak fantasy, and we can dismiss <laughs> it with the restrained observation that I certainly would not consider living it again. Ha! What a just a brilliantly just there's the sentence. That's it done. Oh, so, such erudition as a person. It's so wonderful. Like if you if you look on YouTube, there are so many interviews with him, and. He's so spellbinding. He's so smart and dry and great. Have you watched him at the it's Cambridge Union, I think? Yes, yeah. I have. Yep. So good. And also it's got that funny thing of like 1960s British accents. I, I just love the fact that like accents are time capsules as well. So it's like, um, yes, Mr. Baldwin, um, I'd like to ask a question. Oh, it's exciting. Yeah. So uh, well, we'll find out what Chris Hadfield liked this year. Hi, my name is Chris Hadfield. I'm an astronaut. We have to read technical stuff all the time. So sometimes I read things just for pure entertainment. I like reading the uh, the Jack Reacher series. I've just enjoyed They're very escapist. He's superhuman. But the latest one, uh, Night School, he's he's more human. It's more real. It's more real. I really think uh, this is probably the best of all of them. And I was expecting it to be a little bit cartoonish. But, uh, but it was fun and interesting, and, um, and he was more of a real character than he's ever been. I like the way he's progressing. So, oddly enough, my favorite uh, read this year was, was fiction, uh, Jack Reacher in uh, Night School. Uh, backstage still, always backstage, uh, with Jay Wilgoose of Public Service Broadcasting. We're going to be the band who are opening tonight, which is ridiculous because they should really be closing. Later on you'll find out why there's another band closing. Uh, you have obviously written uh, albums about many innovative uh, technological ideas, but what is your book of the year? It doesn't have to be from this year. 
Uh, well, I wish I'd known that because I would have had a broader field to choose from. I've been very bad on the reading front this year, but I did recently pick up something to be very familiar to most of your listeners, I'm sure. Um, seven Brief Lessons on Physics by Mr. Ravelli, um, which for a scientific ignoramus such as me uh, was, uh, yeah, a window to another world and, um, and very... Uh, very inspiring and very easy to read as well. Uh, if, if anybody out there is, is looking for that kind of thing, I highly recommend it. Oh, I'll tell you what, do you know about Jan Eleven? Do you know Jan Eleven? No. She's written a book called Black Hole Blues, which is all about the discovery of gravitational waves. Right. Yes, well, recent, of course. That was, that was 2015, wasn't it? No. I think it's this year. It's, it was the beginning of this year, yeah. February, yeah, yeah, because we were doing Nottingham that day, and I did a let's hear it for a gravitational wave sample which I'm not sure how many bands did that in February but uh, yeah um, we're, we're a niche, niche and that's why you're here you, you are we have exactly the correct clients for your niche supply Good. cheers Jay okay Greg Foot, what is your favourite thing you've read this year ooh I'm going to give you a sciencey one first, okay? Then I'll give you a non-sciencey one. Uh, so I think my favourite science book of the year has got to be Ed Yong's I Contain Multitudes. I don't really tend to read kind of big, long, factual books, um, but I started reading Ed's, and that boy can write. It's, it, he just crafts these beautiful stories, he's really poetic... It's kind of cutting-edge science about your microbiome and the role it plays in our health and, and, and just so much more. Um, and the first chapter's got him meeting a pangolin, which is um, a really cool animal. It's like an armadillo, but not. So, yeah, that's, um, that's my choice, I reckon. So, so now I'm going to follow it up with the one that, and I'm sorry, Ed, I probably enjoyed even more than uh, I Can Tame Multitudes, and that's Harry Potter. Yeah, I'm not afraid to admit it. I've discovered Harry Potter at 30-plus years old. Um, and I love it. It's brilliant. I'm just being thrown into this um, this magical world, and uh, I love that the first book is kind of you know kind of kid level, and then each book kind of grows um, and gets more um, deep, and kind of you know deals with bigger issues. So yeah, that's not been one book. I think I'm on book five now. So I better go because I'm going to finish it. Helenani. Well, um, I had uh, a baby at the end of September, so I have not read very many books. I have been busy doing other things. Um, but there is a book that I did read uh, just before uh, I had our daughter, and I think it sent me into labour. Um, and the book is its a bit of a cult book. It's the Conmary Tidying Up Method book which tells you that you should chuck out 90% of your possessions and fold all of your socks instead of balling them. And it's completely ludicrous, especially when you're just about to have a baby and your entire house is full of stuff that could possibly be useful, and then someone says, chuck it all out. Um, and the reason I think it went to send us into labour was because we'd realised that we were trying to make room for the baby stuff in the house by chucking out all of our other things, and we were following this method of getting everything in the house into one place and then going through it really brutally and we realised we needed some storage solutions um, so we planned to go to Ikea the dual reason that one, we can get some storage solutions and two, I was eight days overdue 
So we thought, because we've heard so many stories about people breaking their waters in IKEA, there must be some correlation. So if you go to IKEA's, it, it makes your waters break, right? So this was the plan. We basically, we're going to go to IKEA, buy some storage solutions, and start the birth of our child in, in, in a double whammy. We we get the we get the billy, we get the calyx, we get the matching boxes, and then on the way back, it would all happen very naturally. Induction by Swedish furniture company. That's what the plan was. Um, we never made it. Uh, I just finished folding my socks uh, and my husband came home from work and uh, I realized that the little, uh, little um, tummy cramps were in fact um, everything kicking off. So we never made it to Ikea. And I don't think we ever will again. Matt Parker, apart from things to make and do in the fourth dimension, what is the best thing you've read this year? Oh my goodness, uh, fiction or non-fiction? Either or, could be something you read in the back of a toilet door. Oh, uh, what I enjoyed reading the most was a series of short stories by Mark Haddon. So, most famous for the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. I'm book familiar with it. With a, yes, among a lot of mass, which I've done a lot with. This. I've also read that, but that was more for work. Uh, but he uh, wrote, also, because like, um, on the pier, it had the word pier in the title, uh, and it's a whole collection of short stories, and that was great fun. I really enjoyed that. Okay, Andrew Steele, apart from obviously government science reports, what's the best thing you've read this year? So actually, my book of the year this year isn't something that I read this year, but I'm going to make it my book of 2016 in memory of the guy who wrote it, because he actually died this year, very sadly. It's a guy at Cambridge called Professor David Mackay, and he was a great information theoretician, he was a statistician, he was a physicist, he was an engineer, he was a very multi-talented chap. But this particular book is called Sustainable Energy Without the Hot Air, and it was it's his attempt to try and put into perspective what we... Um, how much energy we could produce with renew renewables, how much energy we use, and how those two things balance up. And it's a really uh, sort of fascinating insight into the workings of a Cambridge physics professor's mind, because the whole book is basically a se sequence of back-of-the-envelope calculations. He goes through and goes, so, you know, when I'm cycling around Cambridge, it's rare for the wind to be blowing faster than I'm cycling. So let's say, you know, the average wind speed of the UK is probably a bit less than 20 miles an hour. Let's take that. Now let's imagine we cover the whole of the UK in wind turbines. How much wind power could we get? and just uses these sort of very rough and ready back-of-the-envelope ways to talk you through how much energy we could hope to generate by all these different renewable technologies. It's and then up. it's being sort of pitted against how much energy we use. And so you go through the first half of the book and it's slowly, like, incrementally adding these tiny amounts of renewable energy by making these desperate assumptions, like covering the whole of the UK in solar panels. And then it's like, oh, you drive a car every day, that's a quarter of it gone. Oh, you want to heat your house, that's another quarter of it gone. And so it, it takes you through, like, it really, really puts numbers to the challenge of mm. climate change. And actually, it's been very inspirational for me personally. So the thing that I'm talking about tonight, as always, is science funding. And the way that I've chosen to put that into context is to put it into pounds per person per year. So normally when you're talking about science funding, you hear about billions of pounds, you hear about government budgets. You know, it's very hard to get a handle on those numbers, put them into any kind of everyday context. And of course, what David did was do everything, every single part of his book in kilowatt hours per person per day. So it's this common unit, something that everyone can relate to. It's about the same as a light bulb left on all day, basically. And that means that then everything's in this common unit, it's in a personal unit. And that approach, I think, at least partly inspired me to do, you know, look at science funding in this way. Um, and I think probably the most famous quote from the book, I had a little look through it again this afternoon to remind myself, and it's just so quotable. But probably the most well-known quote from it is, um, there's a chapter about nuclear power. And obviously it turns out that nuclear power can generate a lot more power for any given amount of land area than any renewable technology can. 
and he, he's very keen to sort of walk the reader through and allow them to draw his own conclusions. But nuclear is just such a standout technology in this way. Yeah. And he says, I'm not pro-nuclear, I'm just pro-arithmetic. <laughs> and so, you know, he's, he's making the oh, point that lovely. whatever your position on climate change, renewable energy, you've really got to seriously consider this technology mm. just because it's way out in front of any of the renewables that we can look at. And so, yeah, it's just this delightful tour of back-of-the-envelope calculations. It's surprisingly gripping. We've got loads of them. Oh, that's there. so good. What else did I have on there? Oh, Season so of the Witch was really me. good. No, but I haven't. This is the thing that I realised is I scoot read so many things that when what I actually do you mean sat by down scoot to read? think... Skim well, read. I read and then I go, oh, I want to know about this now and I stop and I go on to another book. Sure. I was meant to read all of Beckett Place this year and I started off really well in the first week of January. <laughs> and do you know what? This year I really thought I was going to read James Joyce's Ulysses. Me too. And Me did too. You? No. No. But do you know what? I've got a nice way in, about two or 200 pages. It's great. Yeah. I mean, let's be real about it. It's great. We said at the beginning of the year, we were like, we can do Ulysses podcast together and we'll read it together. Did we? Did we, bollocks? 2017? Should we do it? Let's do it. January. Yeah. Let's get let, it done. Let's make our promises now. In my on my holidays, I'm going to finish Jerusalem by Alan Moore, which I want to say is oh, my favourite. That's favorite. why I didn't read that much for the summer. It, I was reading bloody Jerusalem, wasn't I? That took a while. I said to my housemate, my housemate was like, "Oh, you've got Jerusalem," and I was like, "Have you read it?" And he went, "Yeah." And I was like, "What do you mean? Yeah, it's a thousand pages long, and it took me a week to read." It's not just a thousand pages long, no. as well. It's teeny tiny writing, yes. thousand pages long, and constantly and disconcerting. Every line is so clever and funny that you want to reread it, so you can enjoy it a bit. Yeah, and then eventually you can't do any more of it because it's so rich mm. that you're just sitting there, all covered in chocolate, sick, basically. Yep. Um, so also, thanks very yeah, much. Yeah, thank you, Alan Moore. Alan Moore. Backstage at Hammersmith, Paul Abel, what is the best thing you've read this year? It's actually something from The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, although I'd read most of it, I'd never read that particular phrase before. And it's a piece of the book that opens over the opening titles, and it says, if anybody should find out exactly what the universe is for, or why it is here, it would be suddenly be replaced by something even more bizarrely inexplicable. There is a second theory which states that this has in fact already happened. Steve, pretty, tell me your favourite thing you read this year and why. I think probably the favourite thing, I mean, I'm, I'm quite bad at reading it these days. Uh, I used to read a lot, and now I am quite bad. Um, but I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks, basically cheating reading, because uh, I've been doing a lot of driving and touring this year. So a lot of audiobooks. I've listened to the audiobook of uh, Paul Mason's book uh, about post-capitalism, which was very highbrow and quite dense in places, but really, really interesting. Um, and I mean, you know, given the year we've had, we're screwed. It's not none of it's going to work. But it was a lovely sort of fantasy world that maybe we can move beyond, you know, the world that we're in now. And uh, yeah, it's really, really interesting. So I recommend that. Unfortunately, um, it's rapidly turning into very much a work of fiction <laughs> rather than non-fiction. But it's uh, yeah, it's very, very good. Paul Mason's uh, post-capitalism. Steve Thompson of Hackney Colliery Band. All right, Steve, so tell us about your favourite thing you read this year and why. Okay, there's a lot to choose from. Can't leave out Storm in a Teacup because Helen's just over there, so got to say that, right? Brilliant. Um, AC Grayling has done a huge amount for the Brexit thing. He's written loads and loads of really good things. But my favourite thing that I read today, this year rather, was a tweet from Alex Krotowski, Dr. Alex Krotowski, saying... For my leukemia charity, will you record a version of Here Comes the Sun on the Tesla coil? To which I had to say, yeah, sure. So that was like 140 characters, and that was my favourite thing I read this year. Sure, it was sweet. 
Brian Cox, apart from your own book, obviously, what's the best book you've read this year or best thing you've read this year? He has just pulled out his phone to check what the best thing... Presumably it's an amazing email that he's read. The best book I read this year. No, it's true. It's a friend of mine, actually, Sean Carroll, a great cosmologist, um, friend of Monkey Cage. He was on the Monkey Cage in Los Angeles. He uh, had a book out this year called The Big Picture, which I think is a terrific look at virtually everything, um, uh, but beautifully written and beautifully answers great existential questions about the meaning of it all. So, quick question for uh, you, Alice Lowe, uh, director, writer and star of Prevenge. What has been your favourite book that you've read of 2016? Um, I read Jitterbug Perfume by Tom Robbins, who I'm a total newbie to. I didn't, haven't read anything by him and now I'm going to read his entire back catalogue because I really enjoyed it. I also reread Cider with Rosie by Laurie Lee just because my family are from Stroud and I just... Yeah, again, I was trying to escape from reality, <laughs> which I can actually recommend. It's a really nice sort of, yeah, it's all about the seasons and nature and how people were in, in touch with, with the seasons and now they're not anymore. And uh, it's also about a period of flux as well in some ways because things were changing really rapidly. So it was kind of a really interesting read. I got sort of fascinated about that kind of inter-First World War and Second World War period. I sort of got fascinated about that, so I'm reading a lot about that at the moment. And one other question, because you brought your daughter in with you, uh, for anyone... Uh, well, in fact, people won't have heard uh, that podcast yet. It's going to be next week's podcast. Uh, she's only little, not quite one yet. Uh, what books does she like uh, eating, uh, squeezing, uh, throwing? She really likes Goodnight Tractor. Which is a which is quite a nice bedtime one actually. Um, she likes Hello Panda. Uh, yeah, she likes books generally. She my partner's reading this massive Kubrick book, which is like literally the obelisk in Space Odyssey, and she sometimes tries to grab that off him. So she's got quite good taste in in quite advanced reading. <laughs> Um, also, because you were mentioning about this is a book, again, not this year's book, but I bought it and read it this year, uh, The Four-Dimensional Human, Ways of Being in the Digital World by Lawrence Scott. It's a very interesting book about both the kind of the, the problems and the additions of the changes of, uh, of being human uh, wow. when we're interacting uh, on the social media. It's brilliant. What, what's his advice? Uh, is it get off? Well, no, it's get out I mean, I think it's can. just about how to get some form of perspective of oh. what it is to be inside that world. And of course, this year we've anyway. Yeah, we've lost that, so it's more necessary than ever. I feel very strange about um, social media at the moment. I feel increasingly. As Do you if know it what? We're no going to have to stop because otherwise we've got a guest outside. Okay, let's go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So happy Christmas! Thanks very much. Oh, well, it might be Christmas has gone now. Happy New Year. Look after yourselves. Yeah, and uh, watch lots of James Baldwin. It's really, really brilliant. Oh, and uh, Dr. Seuss uh, documentary goes out on Radio 4 that I did uh, with some friends on the 30th of January. So uh, that was fun. wonder if anyone knows yet how I did Celebrity Pointless. I wonder if it's been on. How did you do? Tell me. I can't tell you in case it goes out before. Yeah, but don't so record it. Just tell me now. I can't tell you. Shh. Did you win? I bet you didn't win. Did you win? Thanks very much for listening and thanks to all the guests at the Compendium Christmas Shows who spoke to us for this Shambles Christmas show. Uh, also thank you to Melinda Burton from Trunkman Productions who helped out doing some of the interviews for this podcast.
And while I'm here at the end of the podcast, my books for the year were Another Vote for Animal by Sarah Pascoe, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Uh, Joel McHale's piss take of the celebrity memoir genre. Thanks for the money. I really enjoyed that. And Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey's Wicked and Divine series. I uh, only just caught up with that this year and I've been really enjoying that. So check that out. Series four of Book Shambles will continue next week and you can catch up with any episodes you may have missed at cosmicgenome.com slash where of course you can also contribute to the show if you would like through Patreon or PayPal and you can also head over to cosmicshambles.com and sign up for the mailing list there cosmicshambles.com is a new digital hub for the curious mind that Trunkman and Robin will be launching in 2017 thanks for listening, bye Josie Robin's Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions (laughs) 